The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Bielan. And joining us today and this whole week, we have from the Neuromancer Audiobook Minute, Curtis Blaze. Hey, everybody. Welcome Hello. to prison, Curtis. Never thought I'd be so happy to be in prison. Yes. Uh, joining us uh, for uh, today's minute, uh, it's minute 34. And this minute starts, we see that the song that Snake heard at the end of the previous minute is actually part of a show. And the minute ends with Snake looking at his scanner as he gets close to a staircase. And I got to tell you that this this minute is one of the, I think, one of the best minutes of the entire show that we're going to do. We've got awesome stuff going on on the screen. We've got the introduction of one of our major characters. Uh, this is a this is a minute I've really been looking forward to doing. Mm, cosine, yes, yes, yes. It's it's one of the minutes where there are just the, there's the most world building I think in this one that kind of shows what the what society is like. Mm. Yes, yeah, and, and, and in a you know mostly dark and dreary movie, one of the more lighthearted minutes of the movie, possibly the most lighthearted minute of the movie. You wouldn't know to look at Snake's face. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. We start the minute with exactly where we ended the previous minute of Snake with the, some bewilderment of hearing something. We're not sure what. And finally, a couple of seconds in, we see what he's looking at. And holy cow, it is a Broadway show right in the middle of Manhattan prison. How awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little Bo Peep drag show. <laughs> <laughs> with a live band and everything. Yeah. With a live band and everything. Yeah. So one of the first things I looked up was I was kind of curious what the lyrics were because you kind of hear them. It's really soft. It's a little difficult to hear the start of it as Snake is walking into the performance space. And you get a little bit cut off at the end when he actually exits the performance space. But I looked it up and there was a little bit of uh, debate back and forth. But what I found was Shoot a cop with a gun. The Big Apple is plenty of fun. Stab a priest with a fork, and you'll spend your vacation in New York. Rob a bank. Take a truck. You can get here by stealing a buck. This is bliss. It's a lark. Buddy, everyone's coming to New York. No more Yankees. Strike the word from your ears. Spin the roulette. There's no more opera at the Met. This is hell. This is fate. But now this is your world, and it's great. So rejoice, Papa Cork, buddy, everyone's coming to New York. Love this song. Mm. Does this exist? I, you know, I, I, I got to say, I've seen this movie, you know, 10 times probably in my life. I didn't really, didn't really think about this being a complete song anywhere. I always thought it was something that was just partially made up just for this scene. But it must exist as a whole song. I can't uh, imagine... I- yeah, I, you know, it, it's funny you say that because, right, a lot of times in these movies when you have a scene like this where it's not the complete song, you figure they just did a snippet. And, yeah, Molly, I looked up the lyrics, too, and, and you can actually download this song. It's available as part of the soundtrack. And the lyrics that Molly just read, they're then repeated a second time. So it's it's 
not really a complete song in the sense that like it has a beginning, a middle, and end like a typical song. I think they just maybe had the performers record it, record a couple of times through, and then just you know that was the recording. So yeah. what I hear you saying then is that this is the cast recording. <laughs> yes, this is the original cast recording of, uh, of play. Yes. And of course, the song is indeed called Everyone's Coming to New York. Well, so then that calls into question for me, these lyrics do, the, uh, the theory that they just walled off New York because of the nerve gas. This is sounding like a whole society, or, or perhaps are there two different kinds of people in New York, the, the nervies or whatever you want to call them, and then the new, the new New Yorkers that are the criminals. Well, I guess it's possible that when they walled it off, they gave everyone some kind of advance warning, and some people may have chosen to stay, and maybe so it's it's certainly possible that it's not 100% prisoners in here. I don't think we've really considered that yet, Molly, have we? No, but as as you're talking point. about this, and, and hopefully not to advance this too far ahead, because we're going to meet a very important character here, but uh, I was reading that there's a, an implication that Cabby was a non-criminal but just chose to stay because it's his home? Mm. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, even, you know, in the real world, uh, this is just the thing popping in my head. It's not a direct analogy, but when they have the mandatory evacuations, when there's severe weather somewhere, there are always people that say, I don't care, I'm staying in my house. So if the nerve gas is affecting you and you're told we're walling off the city and you're in your home, you may say, I don't care. I'm staying. I'm not leaving. I'll figure mm. it out. Oh, yeah. see, I thought it was, I thought the deal was that they, that New York was, was hit with nerve gas and everybody was affected. So they just up the bridges and held everyone prisoner there until they got the wall built. And then it was just the prison. No, my take on it is that the nerve gas affected the city, and so that's why they chose New York to do it, but not okay. that they walled everybody in and, and stuck them in there, though. In or made case, them stay, at least. In that case, then, for me, this song, it, everything snaps into focus now with this song. It is about being a prison. Sure. I mean, you know, the lyrics, you know, stab a priest with a fork, rob a bank, take a truck. So, you know, everyone's coming to New York, not it's not everyone staying in New York. I mean, I think the people up on the stage are definitely prisoners, not people that decided to stay. <laughs> <laughs> I hear if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and the 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 writer of this song, you know, obviously the soundtrack is 95% John Carpenter and Alan Howarth, but not this song. This is Nick Castle, the guy who co-wrote the script with John Carpenter. And this was one of the things that we mentioned way back at the beginning of the show that John Carpenter specifically mentioned he brought Nick Castle in for to add a little bit of the humor to the script that had been missing. And so these lyrics are Nick Castle. I love that Michael Myers wrote this song. (laughs) (laughs) There's something really satisfying to me about that. What a revelation that was to me, learning that Michael Myers is the person for this movie. I know! It's kind of fucked up. <laughs> I had no idea until I started the show. And so let's talk about the band, because we mentioned the band. We've got a couple of cameos here. Speaking of Nick Castle, he is the pianist in the band. And the violinist is our writer-director, John Carpenter. Hold on. Now I need to look at this more closely. Yeah. And while uh, Curtis looks, and while all of you listening along, who hopefully aren't driving as I tell you to do this, are looking at the band as well, (laughs) 
the band is made up of so we've got the violinist, a pianist, we've got a guy with a trumpet, we've got a guy with a bass drum and a cymbal and maybe some kind of metal drum, we've got a guy whose back is to us, we don't know what he's doing, and last but not least, the guitarist has the musical instrument that most stands out in this song, the kazoo. <laughs> it's the best use of the kazoo ever oh yeah and, and he's playing the guitar with the two hands so he's just got the kazoo in his mouth playing it without holding it kind of like how bob dylan has the harmonica on that thing that he puts around his neck <laughs> oh, you guys are laughing and having fun with this but i'll have you know i used to be in this band and i was the guitarist the lead guitarist and that's how i wrote my solos is i would i would have the kazoo in my mouth while we were playing while we were writing and that was the easiest way to sort of like hum out the solo and get it get it down without worrying about the technicality of playing it right. And then we would go back and, and, and then rewrite that on guitar. Well, this is amazing, folks. We did not book Curtis for this minute knowing that he actually played a guitar with the kazoo in his mouth when they show <laughs> that in this movie. This is amazing coincidence here. I actually have a video of it happening somewhere. <laughs> oh, wow. Can we get that? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's a link somewhere. I think it might be on MySpace. I'm not sure. Oh, MySpace. <laughs> that's going to be an archaeological dig. <laughs> see if I can find it. It's fun. It was first one called Rock Paper Scissors. That'd be great to post up. Now, uh, as a New Yorker, um, I'm of course very familiar with Broadway and Broadway shows, um, and I have to point out, unfortunately, Molly, we have another slight, what I consider to be a geographical inconsistency. Mm. I think that this is pretty obviously supposed to be a Broadway theater, um, but I don't think based on what happens later in the movie geographically, I don't see how this could be a Broadway theater, because after in a few minutes, when Snake leaves the theater, as we'll see, he travels a while before he meets up with Brain, and then there's the scene where uh, Brain says, you know, you know, we shouldn't be driving down Broadway, uh, and, and some bad stuff happens there. So I think it's clearly supposed to be Broadway, but within the confines of the movie script, it, the geography doesn't really match up with that. That was something I wondered about, because I'm like, is, is this really within walking distance of the Twin Towers? I mean, Broadway, no way. I, that, that's, that's a haul. Yeah, I was... And I mean, I've only been to Manhattan once, but I just, I don't, it didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, um, make entire sense to me that that would be the case. So um, I think that's a good, it's good insider information there that this is a little bit of a, uh, a leap of fantasy, geographic fantasy, yeah. if you will. Have, have uh, either one of you ever been to a Broadway show? I have not. Neither have I. Not a wow. proper one, no. I've <laughs> only been to a few. It's It's not really my thing, even though I've. Born and raised here, lived here most of my life. Uh, I've only been to a handful. Uh, it's mm. just not. Uh, I'm a. I'm a. Uh, shocking, considering the podcast we're doing. I'm a movies guy. <laughs> Which ones have you actually been to? So I thought about that. I'm glad you asked. Wow! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I've only. I've been to five Broadway musicals in my entire life. When I was a kid on a class trip, I saw the Tap Dance Kid which had a young, pre-famous Savion Glover, for anyone who knows who Savion Glover is. He went on to be the big star of Stomp. I saw Big River, which is uh, the uh, Huckleberry Finn story set to music. That was another school trip. And as an adult, I saw Damn Yankees, I saw Avenue Q, and I saw Spam a lot. Oh, cool. Does it count if I saw Les Mis in a theater in Sioux City, Iowa? Sure, why not? 
<laughs> then, I'm, then I'm changing my answer. Yes, I've seen a brother. <laughs> you know what I love about this shot, since we're still looking at the band here, is this really feels like a Civil War band to me. Yes, absolutely. That a couple of these hats look like old like Union officer hats. Uh, and then this gentleman who we can't really see what he's playing. He's the, I don't know, he's in between uh, John Carpenter and dude with guitar kazoo land. It almost looked like to me, it's a little fuzzy, but it almost looked like a prison jacket because it looks like there's something written on the back of it to me. So I had that kind of reaction to it. But I love how this is really such a throwback that this whole scene, even the, the Bo Peep drag show kind of reminds me of something from like 1850 or 1860s, you know, the coloring here, the Browns, the pinks, the off whites. It's, it's so, I mean, it looks like there even is like a tuba kind of in the background here, like right above the piano. Mm-hmm. And I even like the little bit of, I, I mean, I'm interpreting this as red converse high tops that Michael, My- Michael Myers is wearing here on the piano, but I even love that little bit of flash of red in the lower left-hand corner that mimics the the troop up front. This is just like such a weird, such a weird scene. And I just love that there's this little like happy, bright moment. I also love going back to Ernest Borgnine, who plays Cabby, who's in the, the audience, that he's just like totally grooving on this. Like he's enjoying a Disney number from like little mermaid or something. And he's just totally like, he's all about this moment. Yeah. And not only that, but every other person in the theater is a complete sourpuss. Mm-hmm. He's, he's completely into it with a gigantic smile. And every other face we see, once we start panning the audience, they're either passed out or they're pissed off or they're not enjoying themselves. Well, he's the only one who's not a criminal. Ah, oh. He's just wow. He's like, I'm just here. And then just uh, Molly, uh, one comment about uh, you, the, the, the actual shot there with the band in the foreground and the, the show in the background. It's just a very, I really love the shot. It's at a low angle. So the band is like right there in front of you and you're looking up a bit at the performance on the stage. It, it's kind of, it's putting you there in the theater. Like you're in the front row and this is exactly what you're seeing. And with the really just, dreary gray aspect of the clothes that the band is playing contrasted with the really bright colors it's it's just a really nicely put together shot oh hey i want to go back one little second here yeah i'm saying that the guy that was turned away from us we don't know what he's playing yeah from the way he's holding his hands that's a sax oh ah okay with the right like the right elbow out and the left arm kind of in front of himself right got it Mm. Awesome. So, this world where they go through the trouble to put together a musical number and do a little bit, I mean, a little bit of rehearsal, um, they, find a, they find a stage to be on, they take the trouble to light it, they, they take all the trouble to, to get everything in tune, learn their numbers, choreograph this thing, uh, but they don't sweep up. <laughs> like not even off the stage well you got to prioritize you know what's more important sweeping up in the dirty disgusting prison where the entire city's gone to shit or making sure that it's grade a top-notch entertainment 
In every that, movie I've ever seen where they end up having to put on a show, there's always the montage scene where they're sweeping, <laughs> they're, they're hanging prep paper, they're, they're doing the whole thing. They're making it look professional as possible. <laughs> and now, I don't know which one of the five it is, but anybody who is a SpongeBob SquarePants fan, let's, let's blow your mind here. One of those five guys up there is Roger Bumpus, and he is the voice of Squidward. Well, since you're mentioning uh, SpongeBob, actually, Ernest Borgnine did a voice for uh, for that as well. Yes, he did. Let's let, let let's yeah. let's jump to Ernest Borgnine. Well, before we jump to Ernest Borgnine, I want to do one more thing. Right above the, uh, I, I don't know where you guys have paused your screen, but right above the saxophone player's head, just off to the right. Are those bare boobs? I doubt it, because I was always in the impression this is five guys up there in drag. Well, it does. I mean, yeah, me too. But this time, as I'm looking at it, like, I swear, pause it at second 23 once and just, just look and tell me what you think. No, it totally looks that way. Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. Um, but, but maybe, I mean, like maybe I there's a falsy situation going on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Now that I press play, it's shadows. <laughs> but you're right. It totally does look like there's a little something, something extra happening there. That, of course, of course, I'm distracted by that. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's a f- false boob alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, everyone. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Just a, a sea, a sea of people out there going, oh. well don't don't worry people uh later on this week we will be talking about uh breasts with curtis and uh, (laughs) it's not going to be as jovial as this scene i can tell you that no no it's not (laughs) but ernest borgnine yeah (laughs) he's in this movie and he's happy and uh boy we get you know this is uh another Great actor. You know, we've been talking throughout how the, the casting of this movie really was something else. And we got Oscar winner Ernest Borgnine here in our movie, not even showing up until, you know, minute 30, whatever we're in. You know, that chair dance he's doing. <laughs> to me, oh, that shit. Looks, that looks <laughs> like he just got in an argument with with Mr. Carpenter. And, and John was just like, I don't know. Look like you're enjoying it. So he gets all sarcastic and really overdoes it. <laughs> <laughs> and John keeps that take. <laughs> to me, that's look, that looks like what happened there. Yeah. I, now that you have said that, <laughs> you're right. It totally would work. <laughs> <laughs> but also artistically, I can see, because he, he, you know, he does that left pan and, and everybody's just looking sourpuss and then and then he's revealed behind the hat from from the guy with the beard just having fun so Ernest has got a pretty long and distinguished career uh and anyone can go on imdb and and get the the full meal deal there's a couple things that i pulled out that i thought were really interesting in terms of trivia about him i think are that's fascinating um the first thing that i thought was fascinating is that he was in the navy for almost 10 years all put together. There was a break in there, but he, he did almost 10 years in the Navy. Uh, similarly to Lee Van Cleef, who is our Bob Houck, um, and also served in World War II, so he is a decorated Navy veteran. Uh, and his 
what job I'm, he was? Oh, I'm sorry, what? Do you happen to know what, what his rate was, what job he did? Uh, I think he was actually on a Minesweeper uh, at one point. Oh, I love that game. <laughs> <laughs> There's a mine two blocks away from here. Well, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty bad. That's pretty tough, man. Yeah, no, he was a badass for sure. Uh, and then he came home from war, and like many veterans, was like, "I'm full up on this." And then uh, for a little while, his mom was kind of like, eh, "What are you gonna do for work?" And uh, his mom finally suggested he go into stage work. And there's this really good quote from 2011. His mom said, "You always like getting in front of people and making a fool of yourself. Why don't you give it a try?" He said, I was sitting at the kitchen table and I saw this light. No kidding. It sounds crazy. And 10 years later, I had Grace Kelly handing me an Academy Award. Whose parents, huh? Whose parents, whatever, when you're sitting around the house, unemployed, encourage you to go act? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite memory. Well, my favorite memory. To me, he just is Airwolf. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do exactly age for that show, and I just watched him every single week. I'm going to do my impression of Jan Michael Vincent saying Ernest Borgnine's character's name right now because I used to do this all the time as a kid. So here we go. Ready? <clears throat> Dom. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I know him from. Air, uh, other than this movie, obviously, mm-hmm. the stuff I know most from, yes, Airwolf, and then also he's in the black hole. He's the oh. guy who tries to leave everyone else behind and take off in the ship, and, and it doesn't go well for him. And of course, the Poseidon adventure. He is one of the people, spoiler alert, that uh, makes it through and survives at the end of the movie. Wasn't he kind of in the in all of the disaster movies in one way or another? I could be wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. It seems like he's always... He's always paired up with a lot of other actors later in his life. Mm. He uh, also ended up appearing on a very short-lived sitcom that I actually watched for some reason called The Single Guy, which starred Jonathan Silverman. And I'm only mentioning that because I saw a great quote from Jonathan Silverman about Ernest Borden on the show. Now, Now, this was a show that was your typical New York late 20s, early 30s something focused show with all, hey, look how good looking and how fun we are. And then Ernest Borgnine was the older doorman. And so keep in mind, this is him with, you know, five, six 30-year-old actors. And Jonathan Silverman said that Borgnine came to work with more energy and passion than all of the other stars combined. He was the first person to arrive on the set every day and the last one to leave. Wow. I mean, that kind of makes sense because he literally worked all the way up to the grave. Yeah. Like he was doing voices for, or for the voice of Mermaid Man on SpongeBob yep. all the way until 2012, which is amazing. The guy was in his 90s. So, yeah, he definitely had a joy of life or something um, to keep him going. So, I mean, that's pretty incredible. And he didn't even really start acting until he was in his 30s. So, he had this, you know, considering that there are some people. You know, some child actors even. I mean, Kurt Russell's a really good example of this. So somebody who was acting very young and, you know, c- continued to act his whole life, you know, and Ernest Borgnine is is kind of a quote-unquote late bloomer in that regard, but just had such a profound career, you know, approaching midlife to the end. Well, what might also have... Oh, go ahead, Curtis. Oh, well, no, I was going to take us off on a tangent. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say that 
something that might have kept him young was the fact that he was married five times. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to call out just one of the wives because it's re- actually relevant to this minute. So he was married to Ethel Merman, and it only lasted 42 days. <laughs> but the relevance is that the song that we hear on the Broadway show, Everyone's Coming to New York, obviously is based on Everything's Coming Up Roses. Ethel Merman, quite possibly her most famous song, is Everything's Coming Up Roses. Hmm. And so I wonder what it was like for Ernest Borgnine to sit there as this uh, scene is being filmed with this song so closely identified with his ex-wife being simulated up on the stage. What's the timing of this compared to her performance of that in Airplane? (laughs) (laughs) I am actually going to call out another one of his wives. Ah. Um, Although it doesn't have quite the same connection. I just thought it was hella interesting. One of his wives was actress Katie Gerardo. And uh, Katie also had a very uh, extended affair with Marlon Brando. And Marlon Brando had two other ladies at the, si- at the same time, too, because it's Marlon Brando. But I think that's a, an, an interesting connection there. The Godfather and the cabbie. Mm-hmm. Well, so, Rhonda Kemmons? And just... Uh, completing the thought on that song by the way the shooting script uh the song uh, i know this is going back to the beginning of the minute but the shooting script actually had the song they're singing as happy days are here again and i think it's much better that john carpenter brought in the castle to write his own original song because this scene would not be nearly as interesting or entertaining or amusing with them just singing the standard happy days are here again Oh my god. I think that this whole this whole moment makes the movie in so many ways and yeah, I think we're all in agreement that this little pinhole into this whole existence here is just so deeply rich and it's such a good example of excellent filmmaking in that here we have in just really a few short minutes. I mean, really from the time that he gets to the theater and really by the time he'll get out of the theater isn't very long, but maybe five to eight minutes total. And we get such a rich feel of this whole world in that short amount of time, not only in aesthetic, but the, the random people who are just peppered around him in this moment. It just makes really excellent use of it. And this is just such a fucking weird moment too, to walk into. And we're going to shift tones here pretty quick. But considering all of this heavy militarization that we've seen up until this time, and then to have like the weird Bo Peep drag show and, you know, this, I mean, the song lyrics, I'm so glad I looked them up because I I feel like that's a whole other level of richness that you don't necessarily fully get and get to hear in this moment. But yeah, it's, uh, I agree with you, Eric. This is really, this is kind of the the most lighthearted kind of best minute of the whole movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, and another note from the shooting script is that it's described as when Snake enters the theater, the sentence says, Snake can't believe what he sees. And I think that that, that is a perfect summing up of what of the point you just made. You know, it's just it so pulls you out of like, whoa, what? You know, this is where is this coming from after the, a half an hour of this movie? It's great. Well, and where is this coming from is a good question. I mean, really think about the think about the real world here. We've got a theater that is what would you say about 20% full? Yeah. It's, it's been lit with, I'm going to guess gas torches, but they've got torches that hold something in them that keep fire going. And they've got them around the whole 
they've gone around the whole area. They, they've gone to a lot of effort to put on the show. Somehow they drew in these people to come see the show. And in what must be a miserable life, this show is still not making anybody happy. <laughs> Even though they made the effort to come in and see it. It's like every single person in theater was like, I don't want to see your stupid show. Oh, okay, I'll come in, but I'm not going to like it. Well, maybe it's just uh, the safest place on the island. Yeah. Or maybe based on what I've seen so far and what I think I know about this movie, it's the only place where you get five simulated-looking women at one time. (laughs) (laughs) Seems to be pretty pretty man-heavy, Manhattan these days. Yeah, there's only uh, a few women in this whole movie, and unfortunately, we're going to be seeing one of them on tomorrow's episode. So Snake makes his way through the performance space and, you know, Cabby kind of notices that he walks through and exits because he's, you know, trying to track down the president at this point. I do love that when he exits and we have this next shot that somebody just spray painted colon on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) I've been looking at it wrong. Now, it's funny that you – so this is funny. I totally (laughs) – it's got to be colon, right? I, well, I mean, what else would it be? Well, because well, I are, are on the same page because doesn't it kind of look like it might be an M? Yes, I thought someone was writing something C O L O M and then like and got like J- killed while they were spray painting the M. Oh wow, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of additional narration. I just because I have like a fourteen-year-old boy inside me, it's like ha ha butt stuff. I was like Colin. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, then there's a J underneath of it in the same handwriting. Yes. But but in the same sort of oh, you know what this this looks like actually actually now that I'm looking at it, it does look like it says colon, then a different person put put the final swoop on it to make it an M and then put the J underneath of it. J I something. Because the it seems to be in the same kind of lighter spray paint mm. and same handwriting, you know, if you know what I mean. Maybe it was just someone was a fan of Columbo, and they just couldn't finish the word. Oh. Oh, but J.I. Colin Jim. Colin Jim died before he could put his final touches on his masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has a nickname here. (laughs) Colin Jim. (laughs) (laughs) That's the name of this episode. Colin Jim. (laughs) Okay, I've got a question. That just come through the recording? What, Molly's saying the words colon Jim? <laughs> oh, I've got so many questions about how this tracker works. I, I, I get that it's just that it's just homing in, but he's following it around corners and downstairs. It leads him it leads him over to the corner of the stairs and he looks forward like he's following it that way. But then when he gets around the stairs, he's like, Oh no, it goes down this way. It's a futuristic scanner. i always interpret this as just that he's getting hits and he's getting a range and so he's just honestly looking to he's just exploring the space like he knows it's around here somewhere but he doesn't know the space so he's just kind of checking things out because he doesn't know he's just been dropped into this shit so that's how i interpret it not necessarily that it was uh good enough to to tell you like Snake, go down the stairs now. You know, avoid the crazy people as you go through the hallway. Um, I don't know, that was my thought. 
Uh, well, Curtis, uh, tell everybody where they can find you out into the uh, the internet and the interwebs. Oh man, now I'm stressed. Uh, I would say just search my name on Facebook, and and then from there everything is revealed. I mean, I've got a billion different websites for a billion different businesses, and I don't know. Well, Curtis is a prolific guy, so there I, you I go. Say- Right now, the most active place I am on, for someone who might be interested in listening to a good Movies by Minute podcast, check out Better Off Dead Minute, where we cover the, uh, the classic John Cusack movie. We are We have 20 more things in the can. <laughs> we're, headed <laughs> that, we're headed for that finish line. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Love me some Cusack. Well, Curtis is going to be with us all this week. I want to thank him for being here for Minute 34. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod. Um, also the Facebook group Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And I just want to give a little shout out to KJ Valensic, who does our sweet synthy podcast music. Much appreciate that and setting a good tone for our podcast. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall.